the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. We don't need no education. We don't need no thought control. Welcome to Education Nation, where we tackle the biggest issues in American education. School is now in session. Here are your hosts, Headmaster Rebecca Hagstrom and co-host Mark Durkin. Well, good evening and thank you for joining us here on Education Nation. I am Headmaster and host Rebecca Hagstrom. And it's a privilege to join you every Saturday evening here on AM 1280 The Patriot. And of course, I'm joined in studio once again by the producer of Education Nation and my wonderful co-host, Mark Jerkin. Another wonderful Saturday to you, Rebecca. Yes, we're getting closer to spring. We can hang in there a little yes, longer. Yes, just a few more weeks, Yep, right? yep. <laughs> well, over the last decade, Mark, the state of Minnesota has seen a steady climb in the student achievement gap. And what's equally disturbing is this increase also comes as the state celebrated a graduation rate of 83.2% in 2018, which is up significantly. Yes, it is. We've covered this on our show many times before. The achievement gap problem is hasn't, sorry about that, hasn't stopped the state from setting an ambitious goal this year. Under the federal government's Every Student Succeeds Act, Minnesota has a goal of 90% of its students graduating in four years, which, by the way, I think it was sitting at about 50% just about two years ago. (laughs) And no single student group's graduation rate will be below 85%. That we're was, talking way, large, large yeah. growths in just a very short period yes. of time. And, you know, despite the inflated graduation rate numbers, a group of prominent leaders in Minnesota politics and business are using their public platforms to push a proposed constitutional amendment aimed at closing the ever-increasing student achievement gap and guarantee that all children the fundamental right to a quality public education. Is this really the right way to do this? Well, our guest tonight says virtually no state has produced enduring academic gains or narrowed the gap by turning education over to the courts. In fact, our guest says the proposed amendment on education will do nothing but cause new problems. Mm-hmm. And joining us here uh, by telephone for the second straight week is Catherine Kirsten. Catherine is a writer and attorney, a senior policy fellow, and founding director at the Center of the American Experiment having also served as its chair from 1996 to 98. Catherine has also served as a Metro columnist for the Star Tribune from 2005 to 2008, and before that was an opinion columnist for the paper for 17 years. Catherine, once again, it's an honor to have you join us tonight on Education Nation. Thank you. All right. Well, we had a wonderful time talking about the 1619 Project last week, and now we're on to another very important topic that really affects education right here in Minnesota uh, directly. Uh, Minnesota schools, along with schools from across the nation, have grown frustrated with the decades-long failures in trying to shrink the stubborn racial learning gap. 
who are the main persons behind the Page Kaskari constitutional amendment? And is this amendment any different from past efforts to shrink the racial learning gap? Well, uh, the, the, the main people are the people who've given their names to the amendment. Um, Chief Justice, former Chief Justice Alan Page of the mm-hmm. Minnesota Supreme Court and Neil Kashkari, who's uh, president of the uh, Minneapolis Federal Reserve Bank. Mm-hmm. Uh, this amendment uh, is, is well, there have been all kinds of attempts to, to shrink uh, materially the, um, the racial learning gap, which exists uh, in every state uh, in the union. This one, um, I would say, is essentially unique in that it proposes to amend our state constitution and create, uh, for the first time, a, a positive right that mm-hmm. is a right that doesn't just bar the government from taking certain kinds of actions like, you know, uh, inhibiting freedom of speech, uh, but a positive right. It, it requires the state to guarantee that all children will be, quote, fully prepared uh, mm-hmm. with the skills necessary to participate in the economy, our democracy and society. Mm-hmm. So it, it makes the state a guarantor of right. this, as I've written, is like a constitutional amendment that, that guarantees every child a constitutional right to be a successful high school athlete. Mm-hmm. We, we, we don't know how to do this. Uh, the gap has been closed essentially nowhere. And now uh, it's going to be, uh, the state is going to guarantee without any <laughs> description of how that is supposed to happen. I mean, it's, it's wishful thinking. It's understandable. Uh, it's, you know, there's a noble aspiration. Yes, here, I was going to say that. very, mm-hmm. very naive. Right. Yes. In fact, some of the language that it uses is it claims to give all children, you know, all, all children, a fundamental right, which sounds wonderful, to a quality public education, which sounds wonderful, that fully prepares them, which sounds wonderful, for participation in the economy, our democracy, and society. Now, it's interesting, you know, we talked about this before we went on air, um, that this doesn't necessarily guarantee a wonderful education that is going to um, maximize a child's gifts and talents and allow them to be fully human. This seems to me that it's guaranteeing that they get a, that they have a job of some kind. And not that that's a bad aspiration either, um, but this isn't about education, it seems. But from the perspective of those in favor of the amendments itself, what are the intentions behind the amendments phrases? What are they really hoping for? Are they really hoping to close the achievement gap or do they have some different ideas in mind? Right. Um, Well, uh, clearly the only reason to uh, propose a constitutional amendment is that you want to give the courts control over education policy and funding in Minnesota. If you didn't, then why would you not just approach reform uh, through the normal channels of going to the legislature or going to your your local school board? Mm-hmm. You can do that without a constitutional amendment. Constitutional amendment is put there because it's clearly anticipated that the courts going forward uh, will be the primary uh, 
arbiters of what we do with education here in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. This has not worked out well in other states. Mm-hmm. I mean, essentially, they'd be replacing the legislative branch yeah. of the state. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Removing democratic control, putting it in the hands of uh, well, uh, our our uh, Supreme Court justices here in Minnesota, where mm-hmm. one justice's vote uh, can make the difference in in terms of what we spend uh, on our schools, the kinds of uh, Mm -hmm. tax hikes that we experience. I mean, it goes Mm -hmm. goes on and on. This is not a democratic approach to education reform. And you've written, too, Catherine, that the amendment is virtually certain not to produce the desired academic improvements. In fact, it would potentially create several avenues of mischief. What are some of the main troubling consequences that would come as a result of this amendment if it should be adopted? Well, um, one thing is that it um, it makes K uh, twelve funding the the paramount duty of of the state of Minnesota. That means, from from a legal point of view, that K twelve funding must always now get first dollar in state spending, uh, and unless you have uh, you know an infinite. Uh, uh, budget and, and revenue that never ends, uh, this uh, is going to crowd out vital priorities like uh, higher education, public safety, health care, that kind of thing, and certainly has uh, done that to one extent or another in, in other states. Uh, but uh, I think one of the, the most troubling things is that uh, you, you hand over control to courts and you expect something, right, some kind of uh, achievement gains that are significant and lasting from this. There isn't a state in the country where this has happened. In fact, um, in, in New Jersey, in um, Washington state, uh, in, in a host, I believe in Wyoming, there's a host of states, you see uh, some of the largest tax increases in the history of those states to cover this increased educational mm-hmm. spending without seeing academic improvement Mm -hmm. uh, on the part of Mm low-income and minority Mm -hmm. students. Which has been the history. You pour more and more money in, but it's not, that's not really what is needed. And just to give it, I'm sorry, go ahead, Catherine. Well, just that you you crowd out alternative reforms, which we can talk about. That's what I was just saying. That that actually uh, are likely to to have some some success. That's not what courts do. Courts don't look at pedagogy, you know, how kids are taught to read. They they don't uh, require uh, greater accountability in in schools' use of of money and that kind of thing. All All they know how really is to hand out more money, and that's mm-hmm. what they do in states where this happens. Mm-hmm. And we're talking big money here, and just to kind of give our listeners a, a picture of this, I believe in New Jersey today, I mean, isn't Ugh. the average student, uh, there's, what, $34,000 allocated to each student in the state of New Jersey, roughly? Well, this is not This is not um, per student. This is in uh, the so-called Abbott School District. This litigation of the kind we are contemplating here now uh, was first filed in New Jersey in 1970. Oh, wow. And, uh, it continues to go on. I think it's they're called the Abbott School District. They're low-performing school districts with, um, you know, high... Uh, proportions of low-income minority students, they take up uh, a huge percentage of the, I think there are like 34 or something of them, but they take up a, a huge percentage of education spending hmm. in, uh, in in New Jersey. And it's there, I'm sorry, that that's, um, 
students may receive as much as $34,000 per year in terms of state funding. But academic improvement has not significantly occurred. And in some of these uh, Abbott districts, uh, performance has fallen. Wow. Hmm. Oh, my goodness. And that's, you know, 50 years. Unbelievable. Wouldn't this be... On the the horizon, I think it's called Abbott 24 or something. And they're going to try to put more towards it? (laughs) Yep. yep, Oh, my goodness. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's... That's really, I wish, I wish that uh, the people here would take a look at, well, and that's what you're trying to call out for them. And I'm glad that you're doing that, helping them see what other states have done and, and what, mm-hmm. what the res- results have been for them. So, um, so Catherine, you write about, you write that some claim that Page and Kashgari Amendment would boost academic achievement in Minnesota. What requirements do proponents cite that lead them to believe the amendment would be successful? Well, they say uh, that uh, we can expect student performance to go up because the Constitution will now say that student performance has to be measured against, quote, uniform achievement standards. Mm. Well, the history of Minnesota education reform pretty clearly demonstrates, as you point out with your mm-hmm. statistics on graduation rates, okay. that we, we just can't, it, we can't set standards that some kids fail to meet and continue to keep those standards at a high or, frankly, even a mediocre level. Mm -hmm. And so there's this inexorable political pressure to lower the standards. So in the name of, quote, equity, we can say that essentially everybody is achieving those Mm -hmm. standards. Mm -hmm. And then that harkens back to what I was saying earlier, where the language actually uses the term economic... Um, what does it say? Democracy um, and society. Yeah, economic and democracy and society. And so they aren't, I think that, like you said, that they really would just lower the standard then. And, well, if we can just get this person a job and they can be out the door. And um, see, you know, I find that really troubling. It's like a, a, a double-edged sword, too, in the sense, you know, these businesses, you know, these, these leaders are pushing to want to get people out the door to have jobs. But what happens when they come interviewing and they're not ready for the job? Exactly. Now That's they such have to do the educating point, on such the back end when they're yes. actually there in the doors interview. That is such a good point. And, and that is the very reason cited by business groups that support this amendment, such as the State Chamber of Commerce and the Minnesota Business Partnership. They are very frustrated that so many kids are coming to them unprepared uh, for the world of work. But, you know, you pass a, a constitutional amendment like this, mm-hmm. and it's going to greatly increase the likelihood of a, of a massively expensive lawsuit where, you know, mm-hmm. the claim will be, hey, you said all kids have to be fully prepared for the e- economic activity. These kids are not, therefore we need even more money right. uh, in an effort to, to prepare right. them for these jobs that they are simply not skilled enough to uh, uh, to perform well today, mm-hmm. or you know, and as you said, either. <laughs> right, and as you said that that because it does lower the standards, these businessmen that are supporting this amendment, you know, again they they've got good idea, they've got yeah. good motivations, but because right. they are not educators themselves, they don't necessarily understand what is the best way to improve the educational outcome of students. And I have exactly. said many times on this show, um, you know, there are a lot of charter schools and private schools 
and even some public schools that are actually doing really, really well with minority students and Hope Academy downtown Minneapolis being one of them, Ascension in Minneapolis being another, and um, Crystal Ray. And so we know, we know how to close the achievement gap. The problem is that the public schools don't want to implement those, those methods that, that actually work. Precisely. Education Minnesota, they're entrenched special interests that are happy with the status quo, and that's the primary reason we have not been able to achieve significant Mm. education reform Mm -hmm. in this state. Right. And we we did talk as a result of the um, declining student performance uh, amongst all people groups, uh, the Minnesota Comprehensive Assessments, but yet graduation rates were going up. Uh, We invite our listeners again to listen to this show on our podcast at ednationmn.org, episode Mm -hmm. number 155. It's titled 2018 Minnesota Graduation Rates and Achievement Gaps uh, for a more detailed description of the breakdown that has steadily occurred over the last decade. Mm -hmm. Well, you were listening Mm -hmm. to Education Nation here on AM 1280 The Patriot. Our guest again is Catherine Kirsten, who is here. Uh, She's the Senior Policy Fellow and Founding Director at the Center of the American Experiment. And we're here discussing this Page Kashkari constitutional amendment proposal that could shift the power of legislative input uh, from the legislative branch as it was designed and intended to uh, over to the judicial branch. Mm-hmm, uh, for education. Absolutely. Say, Catherine, one of the things that I noticed uh, is that you uh, have some conservative uh, lawmakers that are really in favor of this amendment, McFadden being one of them. Um, can you respond to that? I, I read his counter argument to your article, and I didn't think that he answered the questions that you raise in your article. Right, um, Mike but, McFadden, who has yeah. uh, ran for Senate uh, as a Republican a number of years ago, correct? Yes, yes. And he's a business leader, I know. And mm-hmm. um, right. and so I'm sure that he's been able to garner a lot of support for that through the business community. So it's important that he understand the reality around this. And so I would love to have you take a moment to respond to some of the concerns that he raised. Right. Well, um, he, he he clearly is, is not clear on how uh, courts work. He's not clear on the threat of a lawsuit or many lawsuit that uh, is is created or enhanced by this amendment. It, I think these business leaders, in many cases, as you point out, Rebecca, they don't understand how mm-hmm. kids, let's say, learn to read. Right. Uh, and it's it's as if there's some kind of magic that happens right. when you put, you know, 40 new words in the in the constitution Uh, if if we if we could go back and look carefully at what the kinds of reforms that uh, were attempted in the uh in the era of uh governor tim palenti Mm -hmm. uh when there was actually real momentum around the country for meaningful education reform you know Mm -hmm. no child left behind and that kind of thing they, they would be so so much better informed if they understood that the massive effort that was made there, um, scientifically based reading instruction, for example, intense focus on um, uh, working with phonics uh, for early literacy and that kind mm-hmm. of thing, real focus on school accountability, on incentivizing teachers to um, to teach in a way that raises uh, kids' achievement. If they could see how a lot of that was considered and some of it even passed, and then how it was shot down Mm -hmm. in so many instances uh, after Governor Dayton 
mm-hmm. uh, became governor, mm-hmm. uh, they would they would understand, I think, much better what it takes. What it takes, what real education reform takes, is a very committed governor uh, who understands what needs to change in the way that we teach and run our schools, a legislature that supports it, and then uh, the courage to stand up against these special entrenched interests that mm-hmm. work against those reforms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So well said, and I I hope we get some business leaders that are taking a serious look at your concerns. So, all right. Well, how how is the state doing with basic skills tests for teachers, and are they a part of Governor Walz's <laughs> education agenda for twenty twenty? Oh, Maybe a rhetorical question. Interesting. <laughs> interesting that you raised that question. Yes, um, this was something uh, that again was uh, a focus back in the Palenti era, attempting to raise. Uh, teacher skills and to encourage um, more uh, expertise on the part of their of teachers as they prepare to teach their their core subjects. Um, uh, there were attempts to raise the, the the scores that teachers need to get on basic skills tests in order to be licensed. Well, we've seen a steady erosion there, and it, for the for 2020, Governor Waltz is now proposing to eliminate basic skills tests for teachers entirely. Now we know that having a good teacher is one of the most important factors in academic success for youngsters. Mm-hmm. And here we are, you know, with a governor who is proposing to eliminate those basic skills tests or a passage of those tests entirely as a condition of licensure. Which I think is also interesting because accountability is what they're trying to find here. And if you're not going to hold the teachers accountable, then again, it, go, it harkens back to what kind of quality do they really mean when they talk about a quality education for all children? Yep. And just an yeah. observation, too. I mean, in, in the past two legislative sessions... There have been opportunities for opportunity scholarship tax credits that businesses wanted to put money mm-hmm. towards. Yes. And because the legislative mm-hmm. branch mm-hmm. in the Minnesota legislature didn't step up to the plate, and of course they were blocked right. by a governor that wasn't going to sign it anyway, but because right. that didn't happen then, now they're just back to throwing money at the problem, and now mm-hmm. we're looking at more lack of local control as a result, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Precisely, yes. And of course, well, it, it, that flexibility and autonomy um, on the part of schools is is held up as very important by uh, Page and Kashkari in, in terms of uh, reform that, that actually improves, has a good chance of improving kids' achievement. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, by proposing, uh, by, by setting things up so that the courts uh, would take power essentially over our, our, our educational policy. They undercut the very thing that they themselves acknowledge is important. Mm. I mean, in their reports, in the Fed reports that support this amendment, they point to charter schools as uh, evidence of the kind of reform that we need. But, of course, when a court takes control, um, rigidity uh, destroys or mm-hmm. undermines uh, school autonomy in ways that are so destructive to uh, to teaching young people. Right. And you pointed out, too, at the top of the show, actually, before, before we went on air, um, that you've had some conversations with people down in Florida where this constitutional amendment or maybe maybe is it in Florida as well or just New Jersey? 
that you were mentioning? Uh, oh, oh, so, the, there, so, so the Fed uh, in its reports points to Florida, mm-hmm. which does have a, uh, did have a constitutional amendment back in 1998 as really the leading example uh, that, that Minnesota should follow. The Fed doesn't tell you that that constitutional amendment had nothing to do with the uh, academic reforms that were successful with low-income minority students there. What did make a massive difference, in fact, mm-hmm. all the difference, was a, a very careful, comprehensive education reform agenda put in, in place by um, Governor Jeb Bush mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. And a legislature, uh, you know, over an eight-year period, uh, Bush apparently spent four years from 1994 to 1998 visiting something like 250 schools oh. uh, and, and putting his reform agenda in place. That reform agenda isn't even mentioned by the Fed, uh, much hmm. less it's not held up as the reason that Florida has had the kind of success it has. Interesting. That is very interesting. Um, Well, there is some good news in this country, a model that is emerging that is showing just how to raise academic achievement. You write about this happening in Mississippi. Can you explain for our listeners how the state of Mississippi is leading the way on raising academic achievement? Sure. And the state of Mississippi um, took a page from Florida. So the the reforms underway in Mississippi uh, were first uh, adopted in Florida. And uh, what you, you see surprising results in Mississippi, which we all think of as, you know, essentially at the very bottom in terms of student achievement. Right. Mm-hmm. Last year, uh, Mississippi ranked number one in the nation for gains in fourth grade reading and reading and math on the mm-hmm. National Assessment of Educational Progress. And it spends much less per pupil, you can imagine, than mm-hmm. Minnesota. And listen to this, 75% of Mississippi students are eligible for free or reduced lunch. Oh, my goodness. Then that's incredible. Yeah. But today, its low-income students are third in the nation on fourth-grade reading, and Minnesota's are 40th. Wow. It's all about how you teach. So they are using an intense focus on early literacy, mm-hmm. uh, where they, uh, as a last resort, they retain third-graders who still cannot read uh, at the end of third grade for an additional year of enriched, highly individualized instruction, not just the same thing they did before, but using data, using a strong phonics background Mm -hmm. um, to enable kids to get over that critical third grade uh, reading hump. And you can see that it's, uh, it's bearing fruit. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. fantastic. That's great news. Yep. And instead of producing the academic gains, Catherine, what do you see as the fallout that would accompany uh, a Page Kashkari constitutional amendment? Well, uh, clearly, it, it would open a Pandora's box of mm-hmm. of lawsuits. I mean, just think of it. By the way, we already have such a lawsuit underway mm-hmm. here in Minnesota. It's the Cruz Guzman mm-hmm. lawsuit, which is currently in mediation. And Keith Ellison, who is supposed to be defending the state against this, has actually enthusiastically called for the passage of the Kashkari, Page Kashkari Amendment, saying how, how much easier it would make a victory for plaintiffs in a suit of this kind. So mm-hmm. you know, hardly defending, as, as he should. But at any rate, there are all kinds of ways that plaintiffs would almost certainly um, launch lawsuits to, to try to compel 
uh, their own vision of quality education. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, you, you mentioned, Rebecca, that this, uh, this uh, new amendment includes uh, the words, all children have mm-hmm. a right. Mm-hmm. All children, not kids 5 through 18, which mm-hmm. I believe is what's currently contemplated in, in the law having to do with our state education system. All children means from birth. Mm-hmm. And it's my understanding that there are legislators who are very much in favor of universal uh, pre preschool education for kids almost from birth. Mm-hmm. And this kind of thing would be uh, facilitated and could conceivably even be compelled yeah. uh, under an amendment like this. But Mm-hmm. There are there are all kinds of other dangers. For example, um, the the fact that See, all Catherine, children now have yes. Sorry to cut you down here or cut you off here, but we literally have about forty seconds. So if you can just quickly oh. finish your sentence and then we'll exit out. Thank you. Oh yes, okay. Uh, a great danger uh, to to homeschool and uh, private school students who might be forced to return to public school because they're not getting a quality education defined as, say, comprehensive sex ed. Yes, yes, or LGBTQ and all of that. So that is such an important point. I hope our listeners go back and listen to this podcast again so that they can get all the details on ednationmn.org, ednationmn.org. Thank you so much for joining us, and thank you, Mark and Catherine. See you later. We'll see you next week.